Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for tuning in today. You can always find the audio versions of these programs over at pathtozion.com, where we have been for quite a while now. Or, of course, you're probably watching here on YouTube. We have many videos here um, online now as well. And, of course, we're on Facebook if you want to follow us there to get updates about what we're doing, primarily just about recordings and when they post. Um, thank you for tuning in today. We're gaining some new subscribers. I'm very thankful for that. If you're a normal viewer of the program, you know we're not trying to promote all that we can to get huge numbers and listens and likes and all these things. But it is encouraging that others are tuning in and watching and listening um, because that's all we're doing is trying to put something out there to say it's an invitation to say, this is what we hear the Spirit saying. How about you? What are you hearing? Now, a little bit of preface before we get into today. This is going to be multiple parts, and, and I'll explain why, and then we'll get literally right to it. Uh, back on Today is uh, Monday when I'm recording this. Back on, I believe it was last Tuesday, I'm down here in the studio, which kind of is a multi-purpose room. It's also where I come and study if I'm going to be locked in for a while, for a long length of time. And when I was on hour six or seven last Tuesday down here, I, I went upstairs in my house and I found my son in his bedroom reading alone in the quiet, which is kind of odd in the evening. Um, and I found my wife um, sleeping and she stirred and woke up. And, and long story short, she said, I just have the a most I have a horrible headache. My head is just pounding. Um, so everything was just left here and we went to the ER. I'll, blood pressure issues. I won't bore you with, with medical concerns, but I, I say that to say, like, my laptop was open for several days, my notes were all over the place, Bible's open, and everything was just paused um, for several days. And just a couple days back, she's doing well, and I am feeling the press to record this. Now, that being said, it's very difficult for some people, like myself, who, who speak in any public forum, my favorite time to record or, or get up in front of people and speak anything is in the moment. Like, I study, I study, this is just bubbling up in me, whether it's for uh, a few days or one day or a week or whatever, and it kind of gets to the culmination, and then all of a sudden, I'm ready to <laughs> let it out. And however it comes, sometimes good, sometimes that's maybe not so good. And so here I am now, almost a week removed, but I want to get to this today. And this is going to be lengthy. It's eight pages typed. And where this started was in Acts chapter 17. My wife even asked me when we began to talk about this a week ago plus, she said, how did you even land on this? I said, I don't know. I was, I was reading Paul in Athens in Acts chapter 17, and all of a sudden... I just started asking some questions and reading some early church history about that time period specifically, historically speaking. What was going on? What was he seeing? And so I started all these questions, which is what I believe studying the Word of God is all about. Because we're ignorant people. Everybody has to be ignorant. We're born ignorant. We have to learn and mature and grow in knowledge and in the things of the Spirit. 
And I believe those two can merge together. Holy Spirit, we're told, will teach us all things. And so it has to be a rightful balance. I'm dependent upon what the Spirit is saying, like Stephen when he's being stoned. I'm captivated by the Greek understanding of this word Sophia, which is the utterance and wisdom. You'll be given the, the, the know-how, the, the knowledge, the understanding when you need it. Maybe not a minute before, but when you need it, it will come. And so to this specifically, it just began to unfold and unfold and unfold. I've shared pieces of it with several individuals who this really resonated with. So we're going to see where it goes for you. And even for me, as I'm just trying to learn these principles, everything we do on this program is me simply turning on a, a bunch of stuff and recording what I'm doing, recording what I'm staying, what I'm studying, and what I feel the Lord is saying in this hour. That's all this is. No big, huge formality. And so the, the title of this series, it will be multiple parts. I've got a long way to go this evening to get this recorded. Fashioning Idols Out of Covenantal Earrings. What a crazy title, right? Fashioning Idols Out of Covenantal Earrings. And, well, that's not in Acts chapter 17, of course. But from Acts chapter 17, I jumped back to Exodus chapter 32. And I spent equal amounts of time in both. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the scale shifted heavy into Exodus chapter 32. And some principles that we can glean from there that are totally connected to, to the Acts church, the condition of the church in its post-Yeshua youngness. Um, in, in its infantile condition post-Messiah's coming, dying, resurrecting, and ascending. And so, what is the primary focus of this? It's somewhat complex, I will say. And unless the Father helps me to be able to speak it well, it, it's probably going to take a little while to get going. I will, I will say that. So please stick with me. If you feel like I'm kind of wandering, I, I, I've got to take a bunch of information and, and kind of set the table for myself and for you. Um, but what I want to promote in this, as we talk about fashioning idols out of covenantal earrings, is I want to talk about how worshiping Yahweh as we want to can actually be idolatry. About approaching Yahweh Elohim in our own ways, in our own best efforts, in our own ideas, and what we think is best can be idolatry, Okay. So what can we glean from comparing Acts chapter 17 and Exodus 32, which again will be our two primary texts? We're going to place them side by side. We're going to look at Athens, Greece in Paul's day and connected to the children of Israel with the creating, the creating now, and the worshiping of the golden calf. We have taken, I, I would say the reason that this needs to be um, put out there for the church at large, the capital C church, is because I believe we have taken what was supposed to be dedicated to Yahweh with, with specifics, and we've made it into our own religious efforts to approach Him on our own terms. You understand what I'm saying? We've taken all these religious endeavors and ambitious things, and we've tried to fabricate our own way to know Yahweh and worship Him. We have defined what is and what is not acceptable. I would say the reason, well, I'm going to propose that it's because we're tired of waiting. 
Okay, now I'm, I'm throwing out some catch, some real key phrases because this is going to be what carries us through all the ebb and flow that we're going to talk about for, for quite some time. I will propose that this is because we're tired of waiting. Well, waiting for what? Again, the snapshot of Exodus chapter 32 that you likely know the story of, the account of the children of Israel at the foot of the mountain, and Moses ascends, we're going to get to all that. And what do they say in essence, and paraphrase? We're tired of waiting on this man, Moses. Who knows if he's even coming back down? We've got to do something, okay? We're going to follow this trend, if you will, throughout the scriptures all the way to Acts. Tired of waiting for redemption, for direction, for judgment on everybody else, of course. For who, who needs judgment, <laughs> tired of waiting for help, tired of waiting for rescuing. So fashioning idols out of covenantal earrings, okay? And as we always ask on here, what is the purpose? What, what's the goal? What does this have to do with us, and how do we apply it to our lives? Because otherwise, we're just talking Bible history. And there are plenty of men out there who can, who can teach Bible history, and it's sure not me. So the goal is not to give us information and to add to our knowledge at all. But instead, I believe the entire purpose of the Scriptures is for us to look from cover to cover and see this connected line of patterns. Patterns, we say it all the time on the program, the patterns within the written word of Yahweh. And so let me find my place where we're going to get started. I know we're going to start in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read what we'll probably consider some random text for context. Because we don't have time to read everything. And, and very likely you know the account in measure. And so this is, this is where all of this started uh, about a week ago. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Okay, so Paul is doing all these travels in Thessalonica and Berea. And while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, for Silas and Timothy, who's coming to join him, his spirit was being provoked within him. Why? He was beholding the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and with the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. Just stop right there. So, because again, we don't need all these details. We're not dissecting the exact circumstance of what Paul was doing and where he was and all these things. But Thessalonica, Berea, and then he's hanging out in Athens waiting for the brothers to come. It's worth noting that when Paul arrived in Thessalonica, just verses previous in our recording of it, he was there for at least four weeks because he went to synagogue for three Sabbaths. And so the, the scriptures, no matter, well, primarily, no matter what version you read, I'm sure there are versions that have omitted this entirely, but he was there for three Sabbaths, marked time frames, okay? Used for a reason so people would understand. And we are told that Paul reasoned, even then in Thessalonica, with the members of the synagogue. And he reasoned with them what? Religion? Doctrines? Word of their testimony even? No. From the scriptures, okay? From the scriptures that, again, we have to just keep reiterating because I understand who watches this program. 
We're not talking about the Gospels. We're not talking about what, what Revelation is prophesying. They were talking about the law and prophets, okay? And he was reasoning with them in the synagogues. The, the word reasoned with, even in a proper understanding, means for searching. It, it's, it, they're, they're searching out together the Scriptures, okay? Now, they may be arguing, they may be debating, they may be very likely disagreeing, but nonetheless, they're searching the Scriptures and reasoning together. Even here, there was some rightful debating of truth, even in Thessalonica, where there's a whole bunch of problems going on with what he was presenting. Now, now the church of 2021, I believe, could learn greatly from this principle of biblical back and forth, biblical uneasiness about, I don't agree with you at all, brother, and I don't agree with you, but you know what? I'm not offended. I don't care in the sense of as it being a prohibitor or a wall. But right now, if, if brothers, for the most part, know that they disagree on doctrines, we just don't really talk about the Bible. We just don't really talk about that stuff. Now, maybe we used to in the past when we were in agreement together, but anymore, eh, we just don't really go there. It's, it's, it can become a divide. But back then, the Jewish understanding, man, with this midrash understanding was like, it got hot, man. It got, they got up in each other's faces and debated the law and the prophets. And so Paul was doing that in these circumstances for sure. And so the result, the biblical pattern now of Paul's travels was very predictable. People believed. Now many denied and many believed. And it's the same today. The truth is presented the best we as flawed vessels of humanity can know it and present it. This is how I understand this. Some believe, some scoff. Some are interested, some shrug their shoulders and say it's heresy. It goes either way, and Paul likely understood that more than you and I, um, but he surely understood it well. As Paul's hanging out in Athens in chapter 17, he's awaiting Silas and Timothy to join him, he begins to see this city, Athens, full of idols. So what does he do? He goes to the synagogue, okay? And he begins holding discussions. Here we are again. We're reasoning the people in the synagogue in Athens, okay? There's a synagogue in Athens. We're going to highlight these points and talk to them a little bit as we go. Historically speaking, those who were there were in discussion with Paul and what he was presenting. It would do us well to note even right before that. Now, my, my Bible only attributes five verses to this, but in Berea, these men are men that are in pretty high regard. And you've, you've heard about the Bereans. What? They love the Word. They study the Word. That's the reference and connotation used when you hear Berean. Of course, we've known that if we've been in church for very long. But where Paul had just visited, he was gathering with others there as well in the synagogue where those in attendance, quote, eagerly welcomed his message. Why? They were checking the Tanakh every day to see if the things that Shaul Paul was saying were true. Okay, so, so, so let's remember this. Paul is coming and he's bringing something to add to their understanding. He's bringing something that had to... I'm getting this visual of wineskins. It had to be poured into something that could expand and, and contract and, and move 
and contain the present moment truth of what had taken place in Yeshua Messiah. He's not coming and saying, Bereans, burn everything you've ever known and every tradition. It's all going to burn and it's all past tense now. The Messiah's come. Forget everything. No, he's in the synagogue with the Tanakh, with the Bereans, discussing, reasoning with the members of the synagogue. And what are they doing? They are eagerly welcoming his message and searching the law and the prophets to see if what Paul was saying was true. Now, friends, if he was bringing an entirely new message that was a new religion idea that came in the God-man Yeshua, Jesus, they would have not been able to check what was in the Tanakh, find it to be true, and then deem it as such. Okay? They would have said, this is not true. Paul was obviously thereby presenting something that was found within the Law and the Prophets, and the Bereans checked the Tanakh to see if it's in there, and in fact said, this is awesome, this is incredible, this is what we've known, expanded into Yeshua Messiah, and then into us, extended to us the invitation to come into the greater. And that really, man, that's such a dividing line today. People who are maxed out, Old wineskin thinking, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, so I don't want to hear about it or know it. I've already decided it's not true and not possible. Search the scriptures. Search the law and the prophets. That would do us well, as, as laughable as that is. I don't believe the church does that very much. We say, no, 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 no. That opposes my Baptist doctrine. That opposes my present moment beliefs, <laughs> or I just don't like that, whatever excuse we give. So we're going to talk about that, of course, more as well. Yeshua and Torah is what he was presenting. We know that from, if we read Paul at all, we know he was presenting the full picture. Yeshua, Torah, same. <laughs> Law, <laughs> anyway, I get distracted at that stuff. But Paul's spirit in verse 16 was being provoked as he beheld a city full of idols. Now, the simple understanding of that was he, was he was seeing a city, Athens, wholly given to idolatry. Well, what were they doing? This is very important. Okay, we're going to get to that as well. So Paul, and I'm paraphrasing the text for the sake of time, Paul is eventually brought before the council. He goes on to tell these assembled men that he noticed that they were, quote, very religious in all respects as he examined their objects of worship. Okay, so he's standing in front of these men, these lofty men now in Athens. He calls them very religious in all respects. That is not derogatory. But he goes on to say he has examined their objects of, objects of worship, and he even noticed this altar of an unknown God. And he continues to go on to inform them of who the unknown God is, that they're worshiping, in ignorance, okay? Again, we don't have time to go through all this because Exodus 32 is like looming huge in our, in our future, in this um, episode. So he's telling them they're very religious. He sees their objects of worship. He sees the altar to an unknown God. And he begins to tell them that they've been worshiping someone in ignorance, a 
in Greek, a, a God that you don't really know or rightly understand is the, is the verbiage of what Paul's saying. This unknown God that you're worshiping, you don't really know him. You don't really understand him. And could I present, he's Yahweh Elohim. He's the one true God of Israel, the creator of all things. And he sent his son. I mean, we can imagine what that was like, that dialogue that Paul had with these men who were religious in all respects. Now, I've spoken to this issue on the program in regards to Christianity's assimilation into the global religions of this age. We have series on that. I touch on it with regularity. A lot of people don't get that, and they think, well, Christianity is different than the religions of the world. But, but what I present a lot in humility as a person who was just a regular Christian for 46 years of my life, we're being assimilated by what? God. We just, now, can, can we just be offensive? If you say God, it does, I'm not saying God's never heard your prayer or he's never known you. But what I'm saying is there is a scriptural pattern within knowing Yahweh's name and having it like on your physical body. <laughs> You're marked. You know his name. You remember his name time and time and time again it's in the word. And so I have connected that to this unknown God in Athens that Paul was beholding. He's, and again, it's, it's a God you don't really know or understand. So as I, as I continually see all of what Christianity does in, in my lifetime here, in this age, in 2021, I get greatly concerned when I read about this, this religious people in Athens, Greece, that Paul is seeing all this religious stuff, and even an altar to an unknown God, I see similarities within Christianity. We don't say, Christianity doesn't, say Yahweh's name. He's just G-O-D. Now, many people will go back and forth for hours till they're blue in the face saying it does not matter. It doesn't matter. Nobody knows anyway. Friend, it matters. I don't know how else to say it other than repeat it 150 times. He has revealed his name for a reason, and it is not God. Many of you watching this right now do not understand, because I didn't for my whole life, how and, how and why he was called the Elohim of Elohims. He was the God, the God of all gods, a pantheon of gods, of Elohim. And if you would have gone even in this day and said, I'm going to the synagogue to worship God, or I'm going to the city, perhaps the synagogue would have made the connection. I'm going into town to worship God. They would have said, friend, what God? Because in Athens, there's hundreds of gods, friend. What God are you talking about? But if you said, I'm going to worship Yahweh Elohim, oh, gotcha. Again, a marked, a, a distinction, not an unknown God. Oh, God, God. Right? We, we, we talk about non-believers, just the great being in the sky, or we, or we dissect the founding fathers and the so-called fake Christian nation founded on all these godly principles. And what is, oh, the great architect, oh, the great one in the sky. Well, who in the world are we talking about? Unknown God. He has a name, and his name is Yahweh. And I think it would do us good to attribute his name to him. To rightly exalt him, to, to, 
Elohim of Elohim status in our heart and in our mouths and in our congregations, our gatherings. But I believe this is a caution to be given in regards to how most of Christianity has little to no concept of Yahweh Elohim of the scriptures. I would submit that we too, and whoever would consider themselves in modern day Christianity, in many ways has forgotten his name, his literal essence, who he is and have thereby suffered the same fate as Paul encountered of those people in Athens. In other words, I think Paul would look at the Christian church of today and say, I look at all these altars, I look around, I don't see anything specific, I don't see anything consecrated, I don't see much holy, I don't see much free of of graven images and idolatry everywhere. I don't see much about Yahweh. I don't hear his name. I think he would say, it it sounds like y'all are praying to an unknown God. Do you know Yahweh? I think he would say that if he encountered the Christian church of my generation. We have to remember. We're told in the scriptures to remember and to know his name. Now, Paul would continue to speak with these leaders and inform them that they are, in fact, Quite religious, but both religious and ignorant, okay? Equally so, religious and ignorant. I think this, I was thinking about this as I was working today, and this is not harsh or critical or judgmental, because again, I have been a product of Christianity, and I think about the little bit I know now that I have added to my understanding and knowledge in only two years' time, and I'm like, even something I listened to today, I said out loud as I'm working, as I have this this message playing in my earbuds, for 46 years, no one ever told me these things. These simple elementary principles within the scriptures. And I'm not mad. I'm not angry and like, why didn't anybody ever tell me? I'm just saying from a point of, of today, why did no one ever talk about feasts? Why does no one ever talk about the commandment to remember the Sabbath? Why don't we talk about a proper understanding of Torah? Where in the world has this gone? Where is Yahweh? I mean, seriously, outside of of a community of believers that are markedly unique unto this, go into the average Christian church. You will never, ever, ever, ever hear the name Yahweh. You'll never hear his name. There might be a cool song now and then that comes out, has Yahweh in it. People are like, oh, who's that? (laughs) The Elohim of all Elohims. We're just trying, we're not trying to critique us for the sake of of critiquing us. We're trying to elevate the name. Do y'all understand? I don't, and I'm not saying I do, so you better be like me. Do we understand the incredibleness of Yahweh giving human beings his name? Now, there's a whole bunch of sacred name weirdness, and people get bent out of shape, and you don't even know his name either. And all that stuff aside, I don't care about that. We don't throw out things that are true because people corrupt them and make them ridiculous, right? Or there'd be nothing left. We've ruined it all. <laughs> We've tainted everything in, these, in this holy word. And Yahweh knows that. He trusts his word to his people. But Paul would talk to these men, okay, in Acts 17, 
telling the religious and ignorant equally. Little has changed. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to make this point. Idolatry was being equated by Paul to far falsely worshiping Yahweh via their innumerable religious edifices and man-made temples that they had erected. I believe what Paul is saying is you're trying to worship Yahweh Elohim, at least in measure, the unknown God. But you're, you're going about it all wrong. You're going about it all wrong. You're religious. You've got objects of worship everywhere I look. America, anyone? Anyone agree with that? Every single corner, every other strip mall, church, 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 ministry, ministry, ministry. Every other person now is an apostle or a prophet. Everybody's got a title and and Billy Bob's Global International Worldwide Ministry.com. Everyone is in on the religiosity of the age, attributing it to this Bible. I believe a lot of it's to an unknown God. Again, it's, this is to me, this is very synonymous. This Athens, Greece, Greece snapshot is our present-day America. Churches on every single corner. Idolatry everywhere you look. Iconography, images, crosses on people's neck as they record music that is borderline satanic. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It's just empty, hollow imagery and forms of godliness. It means nothing. And equally, the church dons all these things too and has their own versions of it. I fear today our Christian culture is very little different than what um, Paul likely saw when he cruised through town in Athens. And as Paul went on to state, um, Acts chapter 17, verse 29, we shouldn't suppose that Yahweh's essence resembles gold, silver, or stone shaped by human technique and imagination. In other words, you're trying to take Yahweh who is immeasurable, bigger than the solar system in his essence. And you're trying to make something that resembles him by gold, silver, and stone that you made with your own artistic impression and techniques. Your own imagination. And guess what? It's idolatry. It's idolatry. I don't care how we justify it. I don't care how we build a temple in our backyard and we go and we bow down and we, we throw... I don't know, whatever we want to come up with, if it's not prescribed by Yahweh Elohim, it's idolatry. I don't care if you give it to him or not. If I bring the most well-thought-through idea that's in my own strength and my own ability to just hope that God likes what I'm doing, we have to hold this rightly because anyone could easily say, are you saying we can't just creatively give to Yahweh? No, I'm not saying that. Maybe I don't have the time to unpack what I'm really intending to say. All I will say is this, and this is clear. We have got to be careful and cautious that what we're doing and what we're presenting and what we're erecting in our hearts and in our lives is rightly consecrated and presented to the one true Elohim of all Elohims and not our own human techniques and imaginations. To begin to drive home our first major point, we'll probably make this part one. According to scriptural pattern, idolatry is much more than worshiping a false god or false idol. 
a separate being, if you will. Okay? This is a big point. This is one of the most monumental points within this series. So please hear what I'm saying. In light of Acts 17, we're going to have to get to Exodus 32 in the next part. Acts 17, Paul goes through Thessalonica, goes through Berea. He's, he's having discourse with people in the synagogue with the Tanakh open, and he's talking about Yeshua Messiah and how Yeshua took Torah and the commands and all the things that came through him out the other side, and he elevated them through the roof. And he exalted it in the new covenant reality where now we are indwelt by Holy Spirit and empowered to accomplish the Jeremiah prophecy of the, the Torah that was written on stone is now written upon the hearts of men. The beautiful New Testament reality. Everything that preceded was, was what man would do to try to to be found pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And the new covenant reality is everything the Father did on our behalf. I will, I will, I will. <laughs> it's incredible, the I will reality of the new covenant that we're in. This side of Yeshua, it's a, it's a beautiful gift we've been offered to come into. But according to scriptural pattern, idolatry is much more than merely worshiping a false god or false idol. Okay? It is also worshiping Yahweh Elohim according to our own ideas and our own traditions. Friends, you are full of tradition. You're full of tradition. I am full of tradition. It is in every cell of my body. When people come in to Messiah and are born again, regenerated Christ men who've lost their life, and have never been to church, and have never studied the Word, and never read cookie-cutter Bible studies and all these things that, that most of us have done, I believe they are set up for truth, man, like a bullseye. But for those of us who have been raised in the church and fed doctrine after doctrine after doctrine of man-made tradition, it's hard for us, friend. It's hard. And we will have to actively undo it. We have to constantly allow the excavator of Holy Spirit to get in there and continually extract this stuff from our life, from our memory, from our knowledge, and redefine it. Because there's idolatry in there. Because a lot of things we've been told is right and good and pleasing in the eyes of Christianity is not what we've been taught in the Word of God. They're not the same <coughs> in many cases. So, the last point in this, and we'll wrap this one up. Worshiping Yahweh according to our own traditions, ideas, and ways is equally idolatry as much as bowing down to Buddha tonight at your house. Equally idolatry. We're going to talk about that in great measure when we get to Exodus chapter 32, and it's going to take some time. There are some nuggets in there that literally I closed my Bible when I first started it because, again, I already told you I didn't get to close it that night. I just had to jet out of here. And I just said, Father, you're good. If this is true, this is going to set some people free. This is going to set me free. This is going to remind me in yet another way to be pure, to be consecrated, to be holy, to keep my covenantal promises that I've joined myself with, with the covenant creator, Yahweh himself. So with Paul before this council of men, some scoffed at him, of course. 
Some believed. Some said, quote, we want to hear more on this subject. In other places, some said they wanted to hear more about what he was presenting right then and there. Other places in the scripture, the same thing is true. I believe the same challenge is before us today. As we begin to get into the meat of this, I'm going to ask you in the next part, we're going to answer it a little bit, I'll ask you now, which one of these will you be? A scoffer that is comfortable following traditions of men and religious patterns that you know and you can just do without thought, convinced they're right and good, without questioning them, or will you be one to say, I want to know more. I want to search the scriptures. I mean search it now, not I don't feel the Spirit telling me that. Friends, that's dangerous, man. That's dangerous. I believe in being a Spirit-led people, but man, I've heard, I just don't feel the Holy Spirit leading me to look into that. We better be careful that that's in fact true. That's, whew, that's a heavy phrase to say out of our mouths. Will we be a hard-hearted Athenian that defends our own personal approaches to how and what we worship? Will we be a Berean that will receive the word with eagerness and study the word for yourself to see if what I will present in this upcoming series is possibly true? The choice will individually be ours to make. We're going to leave Acts for a bit and jump over to uh, Exodus chapter 32 right after this. The name of this series, what is it? I've forgotten it already. Fashioning Idols Out of Covenantal Earrings. Exodus 32 is going to explain why in the world I landed on that as a title. Friends, I think we've, we've had guilty hands. In ignorance, just like Paul said to these Athenian people. In ignorance, y'all, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know that unknown God. You think you do, but you don't. And then he told them. Some believed, some scoffed and laughed. The choice will be ours. Hopefully we will choose wisely. Thank you for watching. This is the Path to Zion podcast. We're going to come back with uh, part two right after this. Please stay tuned. Send us an email if you'd like, won't you, at pathtozionpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for watching. Amen.